Welcome back to the Underdogs, a podcast dedicated to covering the twists, turns, laughs, and tears of the Emmy Award-winning Apple TV series, Ted Lasso. Look, you know what we do in every single episode. We get the full episode overview, get you a little three-word episode review, a little micro size bite of what happened in it, talk about what happened on the pitch, off the pitch, because again, it's a show about football, but it's also workplace comedy. Then we also get into the main theme of it, hit you a little bit of pub trivia, and then crown the winner, winner football dinner. That's what we do. And today we are covering season three, episode five, Signs. Safe to say that this is one of the most significant episodes of Ted Lasso that we have seen. So much happened. And if you would like to engage with us on social media, as many people have, uh, you'll hear some listener questions in here uh, as well. Please hit us up, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, at Pod Underdogs. Of course, we want to continue the conversation there. And uh, boy, there's a lot of conversation to be had. Well, we'll go ahead and try kicking it off with the three-word episode review, as we do always. Uh, And the first shot uh, is mine. And I put lose to win. Seemed like everybody had to let something go or lose in order to kind of get back on the right track to start winning. Uh, What about you, Dan? More than sparks. Uh Uh-oh. Not Uh just for one relationship, but I think you're starting to see multiple relationships. And maybe, later for me, a bit of a concession to Nick at some point for an evolving thought (laughs) that I maybe am coming opening up to. Wow. That's... That's really sweet, Dan. Thank you. It's um, rare, so enjoy it. <laughs> a little morsel, if you will. Uh, mine is turning the corner. Uh, there's a lot in this episode that kind of sets our, our heroes back on the right track, and so that's kind of there. I would also just like to say there's been a lot of great work done in season three so far, but Jamie Lee, who wrote this episode, did an absolutely fucking extraordinary job uh, with this episode. We were talking a little bit before the show, like we thought this might be the episode that we got last week, the kind of incredibly dramatic uh, episode. This week absolutely floored me. I was not expecting it, and that's when they get you. That is when they get you. Yep. All right. Well, uh, per usual, on the pitch, a.k.a. the football stuff, is where we will start. Uh, Kicked off the episode with the familiar booze at Nelson Road Stadium as Richmond have not won a match in seven weeks. Now, they might have had some draws, but uh, the the inference is that they have lost a lot since that uh, mauling defeat at West Ham uh, with all the red cards. The team looked dejected. Even as Zava continues to score goals, the defense is shambolic. But uh, we get a little bit of time at the beginning where the announcers are outright suggesting that Ted's management is to blame for the results. It's very common in the Premier League. As Chelsea fans, we know a little bit about that. Uh, But the worst news, a bad run gets even worse as they have to take on City next. Uh, We know how good they are. Six wins, six draws, three losses. Richmond's results leave them in uh, a tenuous position in 24th on ninth place. We would say, though, they're all predicted to go relegation. If you're relegation predicted and you're in ninth, any other world, that wouldn't be so bad. But, Nick, the expectations shot to the top with that initial run. And now, with the expectations and the morale being so high at that point, they are just absolutely bleak in the office. Yeah. And and West Ham are in second on 35 points. So so Richmond have fallen pretty significantly since that uh, encounter or clash. And, you know, Dan, it's, you know, largely, especially since the first part of uh, of season one, Ted's management has not been outright called into question. And so I thought it was an interesting uh, thing to see multiple times of this episode. We'll get to the other instances in a bit that people are just outright saying, like, is this dude able to do it or not? There's three groups that get blamed for problems in a football team. And it's very similar to the way you think about most American sports. Either blaming the players for not being equipped to do their job effectively. It's the coach or manager for not using or maximizing the talent available to them. Or it's the ownership for not investing the right way or making tough decisions. And so it's a cycle. Sometimes they are all equally to blame. Sometimes one is more to blame than others. And in a moment where this club has invested to bring in Zava, 
which is a monetary investment, doesn't feel like they're necessarily going to get the blame. The players are scoring goals and trying to find a way to get win. So you still like there could be some blame, uh, blame on the players, but then it does default now back to the management, Brandon, and that's where we kind of get the hodgepodge answers from everyone around trying to figure out like what actually is the true root cause problem yep kicking around the room let's get some ideas going ted ted kicks off says oh boy i just don't get it you know the effort was there as always we just can't get over that hump i don't know what the heck the problem is do you guys higgins our defense is in shambles beard our (laughs) offense is stale roy and if the boys are gonna fucking stand around watching zava all match we should make them buy a fucking ticket Hey, a little bit of fundraising. I like it. Uh, <laughs> Ted wraps up with some constructive criticism. I appreciate that. Oh, this is, I mean, the the danger when you bring in the superstar, right? A lot of players take their foot off the gas. And, you know, we've seen this as Chelsea fans with Eden Hazard, for example, uh, back in, in the day. Like, you, you kind of just let the star be the star. And I think it's made everyone else not do their job as well, even though he's still scoring goals. And, uh, again, this is a very it's a it's a truism of football that is being kind of shown here. But it also shows that Ted hasn't really grown as a coach either. Like if he can't see that these problems exist, that hope that Dan and I had at the beginning of the season that he would start picking it up and maybe playing FIFA would help him kind of get the tactics down. It's just not happening. He he looks lost still. And, I, you know, I don't know what it's going to take for him to kind of get there because he without Nate, they are struggling tactically. Which, again, is weird, Dan, because that's exactly what Roy is supposed to be there for. All former soccer-slash-football individuals could go into management because of their experience with the game. There are some who go into the game as a manager, being a former player, and do a great job. There are some who go in and do an absolutely terrible job. And there are some who are just okay, And seemingly, we're getting Uh a very okay contributor Uh in Roy to the footballing side of the operation. He's more grit and gravel, and it seems like his end outcome is going to be what happens to Jamie. Like, he will be the catalyst to Jamie having a meteoric rise at the end of the season. But I don't feel like necessarily he is uh, showing too much managerial chops outside of that. He's more of a motivator. Then he is a coach, right? And I think that is where the crack is. Beard's trying his best to be a tactician, but isn't naturally gifted there. Ted clearly has no clue. And Roy is more of a, you know, get up them kind of guy. Like he wants to make sure all the players are feeling good before they get out there, which is kind of Ted's job. So they're they're lacking something there big time. And uh, this causes Rebecca, not for the first time this season, to enter and ask the question that we heard from uh, Shannon in season one and season two, are we ever going to win another fucking match? Uh, and I think this is to me, like there were a little bit of cracks between the coaches and management in the last episode, but there are to me really starting to be cracks here. Like, I don't know if they're ever going to get on the same page and that has really damaging effects. Brandon, I mean, if the manager and the owner are not on the same page, it goes one way. Yeah, it goes south. Uh, so Rebecca, um, definitely frustrated, has some concerns. We've seen her be more direct this season as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's far more concerned about results and things. Obviously, the Rupert factor is a is a big one there as they are Richmond and West Ham. They'd be pretty close to each other as well, so you could consider a bit of rivalry, let alone their their past history. But um, it's 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 different this season, without a doubt. Uh, over to the locker room before training, the players are gossiping about the pictures of Nate and Anastasia. How could he get a girl like that? She's fit. That's so good. It was, I love Isaac, man. He cracks me up so much, but. It was uh, it was a way, basically, Dan, because in every episode there has to be some sort of movie reference, musical theater reference. They went on a romantic comedy uh, reference bit this time, and uh, we got a weird kind of pseudo-human moment from Zava, and it kind of threw me a little bit. Well, we did learn that Christina is basically, she's all that, and uh, <laughs> Zava's comment... 
reminded me a lot of Stephen Colbert when he did the Colbert Report. As like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see color. When yeah. Zava's response is that the only one I see with clarity, every other woman is a deep inhale smudge. <laughs> it was just, it was, uh, it was weird because like the trope around footballers is we saw like Danny in the last season. They're just sleeping with models all the time, and it's a very free flowing kind of love situation. But uh, with the superstar, we're not getting that. It was a little, uh, it kind of threw me a little bit, Brandon. That's all. Yeah, no, understandable. I mean, I think that that's fair. Um, anyways, coaches still trying to figure out what to do. They're going through every formation known to man, and they just cannot figure out what to do against City. I mean, City are just are a powerhouse. Uh, they are, they are a, a, I don't want to say dynasty at this point, but I mean, they are like top, top team loaded with quality, winning the league every single season, if not up and around it. Roy's four, five, one, fucked four, four, two, we're fucked. If we try five, three, two, Ted, we're going to win Roy. <laughs> we're fucked. And at that point, you just got to figure out what can you do? They have no idea. They tried to bring in Trek Krim, who made a bit of a noise or whatever make himself known and so they uh would you say goaded him in oh yeah oh yeah they they guilt tripped the hell out of him i think ted ted even said you're like one of those uh sadistic nature photographers that sees a baby monkey struggling before a pack of hyenas are gonna get there and it was just that was a a very funny scene even roy participated shows a little bit of unity i suppose yeah (laughs) it was yeah they were all over it finally got him in uh but then like just real quick we got a disturbing text from michelle uh henry's been sent home from school for bullying and just kind of left it at that right you didn't know which side of the equation he was on uh beard rushes in to help roy shares a sadistic torture tactic which is highly specific oh wow but then you also wonder was roy bullied as a kid dan it's a good question i'm sure we don't mean by trent crim well, yes, he was. If, that, if, if we're doing that, then absolutely 100%. He was bullied by the British press and won't be the first or last person for that to be the case. I 1,000% figured that it was going to be Henry as the bullier and not the bull, bullied individual. And this uh, it was great. Great, uh, great to kind of set a stage and cause a little bit more further conflict for for Ted and being away from home and learning his son is potentially bullying other kids the the, the acting for Brett Goldstein during that moment was crazy good it was a it freaked me out though I was like it, the show does not get that dark typically um that's a it was a tough little spell but Brett did great with that Well, we flip it to Rebecca's office. She's in a pensive mood, holding the green matchbook from Ola, which is Sam's restaurant, uh, an empty tin of biscuits. She's clearly reeling from the shite in nining armor thing when Higgins walks in. We'll get to that. And Higgins is absolutely nervously being weird, asking for permission for everything, just setting her to be on edge as if she needed it. Um... But he does what a good director of football operations is supposed to do. He questions whether Ted is the right person to move the team forward, Nick. And as we all know, he enjoyed it. (laughs) Yeah. He said, the thing is, the club is going in the wrong direction. I fear that it has little to do with the quality of the players. Therefore, if we don't do well against City, we may have to consider, think about thinking about possibly maybe focusing on theoretically, as it were, changing the manager of our club. Rebecca, you want to fire Ted at, at what point Higgins comes back? At what point does during any of that stumbling that I did <laughs> seem like it's something I wanted to do? Uh, Leslie, this is too bleak for me at the moment. We will get to why it's too bleak for Rebecca in the off the field or off the pitch stuff. But uh, it's it's interesting that there was not a real conversation here because like we like we know as as fans of Premier League football, this would be the conversation that's being had in the background, a hundred percent. It's much easier to change one or a handful of coaches than it is 30 players. So financially it is what it is. Well, and also Dan, he said that he doesn't think the quality of players on the pitch is the problem. It's true. He's still counting in Zava at that point. I was going to say, is that before or after at that point? Oh man. But 
A little bit of a twist there, Dan. Rebecca's like, uh, great. As your boss, I can change the subject to something completely different. Uh, <laughs> ask him if he believes in psychics. Was well, not ready for this personally. To no surprise, Higgins informs her that, yes, he absolutely believes. Um, and, yeah, then uh, <laughs> uh, after that, she, she he, you know, Rebecca shares what she saw with Trish and how some of those predictions are happening. And then Higgins hits her with the, uh, and psychics, even if some are charlatans, they can help us see something in ourselves that we quite can't see ourselves. And uh, in a very Higgins way of uh, adding a little bit of an accent at the end to spark a thought, to create a concept, an idea, and to get it rooted very deeply into the psyche. I mm-hmm. love that she called Higgins whimsical. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I mean, I get it. That is, that is for sure. Uh, I was not expecting that answer. I was not expecting any of that. So that one caught me uh, for a loop. But then comes the scene of the episode as the hallways bustling with people on their phones. Ted and Rebecca have a run-in that is eerily reminiscent of Sam and Rebecca's run-in last season. It's awkward. And yet another... <clears throat> sign in the episode well well done you're you're reading my color coding like a champ uh, was first it? of all was it they yeah well no you're, you're doing a good job it, it was champ. a sign you, you keep it you're, up you sure <laughs> yeah oh it definitely was a sign uh here's why it was a sign rebecca and ted don't call each other what they normally call each other rebecca says hey coach ted says hello rebecca that's not how that's not normal that's not what they do boss Yes, of course. And she calls him Ted. She doesn't call him coach. So all of that is weird. Uh, Ted goes, no, I know, I know, I know. You're still feeling bad about yelling at me the other day, right? I can be a little psychic. Ding, ding, ding. Signs going off. And then Rebecca, it's okay. No, I, I shouldn't have bullied you. Ted starts freaking out. Then they revert to form. Nice speaking with you, boss. You too, Ted. And it's Freaky Friday up in this motherfucker. Like, it is everything. Like, the world around them kind of stopped while they were in this little bubble, Dan. And I think um, my question for you, <clears throat> is this the start of Ted Becca? So it would give her an opportunity to have a child in Henry if she were to be a... Uh, to get married to uh, to Coach Lasso. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I I'm believing it's possible. I don't know if I'm firmly in the camp that I see it 100% happening. Um, but I think there's at least going to be like one awkward date between them um, in the season as a romance. It's happening. Okay. okay. I'm, look, I'm giving you something. You should be like over the moon. <sighs> well, unfortunately, it does not stop there. During weightlifting, Isaac and Sam try to pump up the guys to believe that they can beat City. Colin is not buying it. Jamie, the former city player, has another moment of leadership before Zava steals his thunder again. Jamie says, hey, enough of that negativity. Yeah, city are great. They just are. But who fucking cares? Because uh, so are we. So stop acting like a bunch of little bunny rabbits. Let's fucking do this. Yeah, Zava, Jamie is so right. <laughs> it's as it's as if he were Zava. You will not win because of me. You will win because you work together. Because together you can achieve anything. Well, that hits differently <laughs> after the episode. Sure, sure does. Uh, I know you guys make fun of me for foreshadowing, but boy, when when he said it, the way he said it, I was like, oh, some shit's gonna go down now. Like, because he he has spoken about himself in the third person so much that he would typically include himself in the we. Uh, that was uh, that was not to not to be. Mm. Well, uh, back home, Ted FaceTimes Michelle finally. Talk about the bullying incident. It's causing real heartburn for Ted, <sighs> especially for him not to be there to help his young boy. And then he finds out that Henry was actually the bully, and it crushed him. Yeah. Again, I didn't think it was a surprise. I think it Lasso as a show does tend to go the opposite direction of what you would initially perceive to be the situation. 
And I'm glad that you caught this too in your scripting, but the subtle movement that Ted makes to go from having a water glass, not only was he planning to drink water, but he had the type of glass you would reserve for water because we typically see him drinking his bourbon or whiskey out of a proper glass for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, He made a in-moment pivot at the mention of uh, Jake or Dr. Jacob, um, once he gets mentioned to uh, the strong stuff. Yeah, massive uh, shout out to Kansas here. I, I He said, I actually told Beard and Roy about what happened. Those fellas were ready to hop on a flight to Kansas to go full Wicked Witch of the West on the kid that bullied him. And then Michelle was like, uh, he was the bully, actually. Uh, so that was uh, that was a tough moment for old Ted there, Brandon, to, uh, to realize. Gentlemen, flip-flop, back to the stadium, right? Uh, I, they, they got to go play city. They're down in the dumps. Things aren't going well. Beard continues to to bring it up, connecting with Henry. No, keep missing. Henry's a good kid because you're his dad. And whatever's going on with him, he'll be just fine. Thanks, coach. I needed that. But, like, it distracts him, Dan. Like, you can tell he's not focused on the task at hand. His personal life is really tearing him apart right now and the job is very much secondary to everything else i think at times actually it's always been a little secondary to him in terms of the actual functions of his job he's absolutely one of the people that just gets carried by the charisma factor and being surrounded by good people but it definitely takes a really rough hard turn when zava does not show up to the match One quick note before we dive into that. This is one of the few compliments that we see Ted actually receive in the show. Ted is like the the joke for everybody, right? He's goofy. He brings it on himself. But he doesn't get complimented that much unless it's from Sassy, who is very satisfied after they're friends with benefiting. Like, this is a... it, It was an interesting moment... When he says, thank you, coach, I needed to hear that. Like, he, he's a person, too. Like, he needs the lift occasionally, right? Like, so I, I found that to be a pretty profound little line, even though it might have been a throwaway for some people. Like, he, I think people got to start building him up a little bit, too. He does that for a lot of other people. Yeah, we, t- we, yeah, we talk about that. It's very much a one-way street for Ted, you know, for sure. I don't think he really lets people do that for him. Uh, good point. Uh, but then all of a sudden Zava's nowhere to be found as they're trying to get ready for city. Roy's pumping every player up. No more negative motivation after West Ham. Um, and, and nobody knows where Zava is. Uh, and hilariously, <laughs> Nick, uh, they've tried all the options of getting a hold of Zava. Turns out he won't answer his phone. He's not the only one. Yeah, so Beard's like, no one knows where he is. This is on the touchline, by the way. They're they're right ready to start the match. Roy said that fucking prick's not answering his phone. Neither is his agent, his manager, his publicist, his trainer, his acupuncturist, his acupressurist, his fecalist, his avocado whisperer, not even his barber. Ted, uncharacteristically, maybe he's dead. I was like, whoa, that's weird. And then Roy, uh, in very much Roy form, fucking better be. Uh, it, it's a massive moment. I mean, this team has relied on Zava this year. So to have him not be in the lineup, now Collins back in the starting lineup because he's the one that got shipped out. But the team just looked dead. I mean, they they look like they're, you know, it was like Samson and they and Zava was the hair that was cut off. Like, it just, you lost your super your superstar player, your superpower, and Arlo White comes in at the at, at kind of the end of the game. Final score is 4-0. And the Richmond Ahabs are still unable to catch their great blue whale. Um, little Moby Dick reference there for everybody. And without Zava, we're left wondering if this team even belongs in the Premier League, despite where they are in the standings. Uh, Chris Powell, well, without Zava, this team does not belong in my church league, uh, Arlo. It's an it's actually a very competitive league with some very talented clergy. And I thought that was a pretty that was a neat little uh, call out there. Yeah, they have fun with him. He has a lot of uh, good lines uh, throughout throughout it all. Um, moving along, Higgins let Rebecca know that Zava has retired before the match, but confirms it in her office after the match, and everybody is depressed. Uh, they're looking at the pyramid of success on the wall, and 
Ted hears Beard say the only modicum of comfort is knowing that in all the innumerable parallel universes, there's not one where we win that game and feels a panic attack coming on. Um, and Henry calls. He breaks it up temporarily. Uh, it's a better call than I guess I thought it was going to be, Dan. You know, especially how much we saw it weigh Ted down. Um, and and he has a good little dad moment. He does. He leans into it. And then Henry is very straightforward and says he messed up. He should have followed his dad's advice. If you're angry, count to 10. And if you doesn't work, do it again. Uh, very good advice for anybody who uh, gets stressed out or might want a moment to respond to something. And Ted indicates that it was advice from his father. So it is now multi-generational advice in the Lasso family. And, you know, this is, um, you know, we, we got a question here, a listener question, Nick, that you yeah. dropped in here. Yeah, and I think this is is an interesting part of the story, right? Because it kind of ties in with the thing that we talked about later or earlier in the episode with with Ted Becca as the uh, as maybe a, a relationship. Uh, will Henry be forced to move in with Ted in England because of the bullying? Like, I don't I don't know if that makes sense as much. Um, like, I think it would have to get pretty extreme for him to be like kicked out of school and like sent off to a boarding school somewhere or whatever. But I could foresee an angle where where Henry spends more time in England at Ted's request and has a different sort of school type relationship than maybe some of his peers do. I, I don't know. Just kind of makes sense if you have parents living on both sides of the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Mich- Michelle's going to want to keep him there. Ted's got to figure out what he wants to do. I mean, he's mm-hmm. missing stuff uh, with Henry and and and. Yeah. Um, anyways, after the call, Ted kind of used his own advice that you just talked about, Dan. Called himself from the panic attack. Uh, you know, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And he finally got to the point. He kind of looked around. He's like, it is okay. All right. Like, let's let's go back on. And uh, walks out of the locker room, and, and everybody is bickering. Everybody's fighting. He's really, really proud of himself, though. Yeah. Like, you could tell on his face he he like went through that moment and was like, "Oh shit, I can do this. Like I I can manage this and in, in really incredibly emotional moment for myself and do better." And this is such a like far cry from where he was season 1, season 2. So, it was an awesome moment and I was really glad to see that little smirk kind of return cuz it's like don't don't let him get on a run, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh but yeah, I enters the locker room and it's just chaos in there. Uh, and he enters to give them the pep talk that they have been waiting for since season one. Uh, gentlemen, who would like the honors? Dan, well, I mean, you go first. There's three parts, so <laughs> we can split it up between all of us here. I'm going to go grab some water. You got this? All right, thanks. Uh, but look, look, look. I hear you. Zava's gone. And you know what? I think it's a good thing to which the players Looks at Jamie, murmur. by the way, right there. There is the all-knowing nod that Jamie was right in this scenario when he said, we don't need them, unironically. Uh, but then Ted gets back with the, well, I do, okay. Uh, do I want to win? Heck yeah. But I also know I want to do with folks that want to be here. The believe sign splits in two. Yeah, the the sign, of course, is perfect, right? Team is freaking out. It's a bad omen. Ted comes in. Hey, knock it off, okay? We're not doomed. No one is doomed. But Bumbercatch, yes, you're right. It is a sign. Sign. Uh, I agree. Uh, in fact, it's just a sign. All right, guys, listen to me. Belief does not happen because you hang something up on a wall. It comes from in here, your heart, your head, your gut. The only problem is we got so much junk flowing through us. Call back to episode one of the season that a lot of the time we end up getting in our own way, which is the story of this team. He just called out the whole narrative, right? You know, crap like envy or fear or shame looks at, you know, Collins very much in the in the frame at that point and has that sort of vibe about him. And he says, I don't want to mess around with that shit anymore. Do you like And He's looking at the whole locker room. And again, Brandon, he doesn't swear a whole lot. So but he, he artfully chooses his moments. And I think this was one of those moments before he absolutely brings the house down with the final bit. Yeah, back from my water to bring it home here. <laughs> well, you know what I want to mess around with? The belief that I matter, you know, regardless of what I do or don't achieve, or the belief that we all deserve to be loved, whether we've been hurt or maybe we've hurt somebody else, 
Or what about all the belief of hope? Yeah, that's what I want to mess with. Believing that things can get better, that I can get better, that we will get better. Oh, man. To believe in yourself, to believe in one another. Man, that's that's fundamental to being alive. And look, yo, hey, if you can do that, if each of you can truly do that, can't nobody rip that apart. He says, ripping the sign apart again. And it, I don't know, it's one of these moments in the show that I am so glad we finally got because it's clear they've just been papering over some fucking cracks, right? I mean, this is, it's been an exercise in like how, how much can we do without really addressing the issue that we have. Uh, and Brandon, I, I absolutely love this. It's one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. Uh, and we even got a question about it. Can you believe that people are following us? Uh, Dominic says, uh, harshly put, is Ted finally doing his job again from this point on? Fucking yes. He took a step in the right direction. Questions that's for have sure. been asked of him if there was a time to do it. And, you know, he's like oblivious to that stuff. So, like, it's just kind of aligning for him. But, I mean, he he looks like a different dude, right? Yeah, I mean, just in those couple of moments, he changes from being this kind of out of sorts, out of his element kind of guy to doing what he is called on this earth to do. And that's get people together and make them the best versions of themselves, like you said, multiple times on the show, right? It's an absolutely fantastic bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we end uh, with a little little moment between the bit of the opposites, but they, they're bonding. Jamie and Roy training on their day off, right? Because he gave them the day off. It's Sunday. See you Monday. Jamie, tomorrow at 4 a.m.? Roy, damn fucking right. And that's, they both have something to prove, man. They do. And that's the football stuff. So uh, enjoyed it as much as we did. We're going to take a real quick break, and we're back off the pitch. Plenty more. Thank you to the sponsors. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Off the pitch, the workplace comedy stuff. After the Newcastle match, Rebecca finds herself in a familiar place, the coffee shop where she dumped John Wings Night in season two. And guess what? John's back. What an overly British name. <laughs> I know, I just slowly read it. I was like, mm, let's see it if was we can weird get through to this. Type. <laughs> uh, he's wearing the half-and-half half United City scarf as a nod to season two. He's freshly engaged, and after some very awkward small talk, we see Rebecca flash back to her psychic reading when John's new fiancé says, shite in nining armor. We referenced that earlier. She damn near faints with that weird music in the background. Another sign? Yes, Brandon. Way to catch on. I'm getting good at this. Um, John, uh, the shite in armor. Now she's starting to get like these, I wouldn't say panic attack, but like. It's a different kind of like ethereal sound. Yeah. Like kind of like a, like, I don't know if, if like otherworldly makes sense there, but it's, it's very odd. Yeah. It's a different thing than what Ted gets, which is like this loud ringing kind of crescendoing sound. So yeah, I don't know what that's all about yet, but I'm sure we'll find out. A hundred percent. Back at the KJPR, Keely and Barbara and Jack are all having a nice little business strategy meeting. Barbara, the capitalist rascal, wants to scale the business by taking on more clients and hiring more people. Keely wants to keep it small and uh, more of a boutique feel. And Jack, as a tiebreaker, sides with Keely. Funny little back and forth here, Dan, didn't we? We did, you know, Keely uh, giving the very thoughtful, like, I understand where Barbara's coming from. And there's the corporate, like, I'm right. (laughs) Believe in me. And then Barbara gets the, you know, it's called growth and tries to make a joke of it and does not get the response that she thinks she's going to get from Jack, which has a wonderful line, which is uh, absolutely what some people business do. You want a restaurant that looks successful. You take out half the tables and you have a line out the door. It's it's odd, though, for a VC to say this, right? Because VCs are in the business of making money, not suiting kind of like odd. But if she's not spending a lot of stupid money like, yeah, and the true. margin is healthy, like. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. I mean, I just felt a little like, oh, what the hell is that about? Yeah. Very odd. Yeah, I mean, for sure. You got the high-end kind of luxury boutique stuff. There's a play. But yes, VCs want scale, two, three, four, five, six X. So, uh, but after Barbara storms out, Shandy storms in after her banter idea 
failed. She bursts in with a little tirade. Jack is convinced at this point that Keely needs to fire her, and it's tough to disagree. Shandy is a liability, and after calling one of their clients at 4 a.m., hammered drunk, the time comes for Keely to let her go. Um, and it's funny. She go, Keely goes, Shandy does not have a good relationship with rejection or her ex or with the workplace, or, or most nouns, really. And these are the things where I just, like, appreciate that they, like, throw That's out so there. That's so good. Uh, she says, oh, but I can't fire Shandy. She'll hate me, and she really thinks she's killing it, Jack. Oh, I'm sure she does. The worst piece, people often think they're the best. Everyone laughs. My dad calls it talent dysmorphia. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, yeah, I know about that. I've seen it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, can't, we, I can't believe you didn't call it the fake firing, though, where she mistook what Jack said as like the yeah. thinking that she was getting fired and let go. The shit sandwich or whatever, the happy sandwich. Largely, yeah, the compliment sandwich. This is a tactic that Dan uses to an extreme in his own personal life, his work life. He's taught us how to do it. It's great. Uh, the reason I didn't focus on that, Dan, is because the actual firing was outrageous <laughs> it, it it was uh it was a uh you're cool you're cool you're cool you're cool fuck you i'm out like it was a absolute shit show and i i called this in the script the opposite of quiet quitting this is uh yeah it was tough tough scene i was waiting for uh, someone Shandy. to bite because i was like there's no way she has any funding she's gonna double their pay three months vacation and like it, smart people are like this is unrealistic for a reason. So you're, you're a lunatic as well. <laughs> get one month in and then never see a paycheck again. Oh man. Um, is this the last we see of Shandy? Duh. No, of course not. No, <laughs> no, no, no. There's no shot. Uh, we actually kind of see her later in the episode. Um, back at West Ham, Miss Cakes walks in to give Nate uh, Anastasia's number. She was surprised that Nate didn't ask. Duh. Of course he didn't ask. Uh, he's still not confident enough to believe he could get a girl like that, so he calls his mom to practice his call to her. Boy, oh boy. <sighs> she just spat at his phone screen first. Nate, Nate, Nate. Yeah, yeah, his little, like, get in the zone thing he does. His tick. Hmm. Well, Rebecca, fresh off meeting with Higgins, is uh, in a fertility clinic. She's putting the psychic's vision to the test to see if she can still biologically become a mother. Her doctor, a Richmond fan, runs some tests and uh, we'll call her later. He wants to see what options they have. Uh, Dr. Wagner says, I treat women your age and older all the time. Now, that's sad. I can't guarantee. Rebecca, oh, no, no, no. Of course, I know. But we can run some tests and see what's possible. Sound good? And there is that glint. She's hopeful. Yeah, it, it's a, you know, I think she's like just kind of following wherever the hell this leads at this point, right? Like there's a bunch of things in her life that have kind of gone weird lately. And so she's just saying like, maybe is, maybe this is real. I don't know. So before the Richmond match, Keely asked Jack and Babs if they want to go to the game. Uh, Babs declines on account of the lack of violence, which again, just little character developments you're not ready for. Babs is clearly a rugby fan. That That is a, the type of game yeah, that she uh, should be going to. Yeah, yep. that makes sense. Uh, but Jack accepts, and chemistry is so thick you can cut it with a knife. However, before they leave, Shandy has left KJPR a parting gift. The lamb from episode two is back and literally shitting everywhere. <laughs> the smell catches I mean, their attention. If you didn't see this coming, I mean, come on. It's a perfect callback. Well, they had to get the lamb's owner to come get a Nick, figure it out. Yeah, I love I love that Keeley and the lamb's owner are having this really heartfelt discussion. And then right as he's about to leave, Jack comes in. And here's a giant bag of shit. Uh, and, and that's kind of how they left it until... Uh, Woof, until they get really drunk and start sharing stories. Uh, pretty clear throughout this whole episode, Dan, that Jack is very much into Keely, very attracted to her. And that's when it starts to get a little uh, a little heavier, I would say. Well, like the people who are stitching together fan cams of Keely and Jack heading into the this episode after the last one were rewarded. <laughs> for mm -hmm. their hard work and their efforts and their TikTok uh, videos and Instagram reels are probably doing the numbers because after they share the story about the circus clown um, and, you know, Keely maybe not being over uh, Roy as much as she may not. Would. I mean, Christ. <laughs> um, he that, broke up know, with her, Dan. 
Uh, I mean, did they? They broke up with each other, right? I don't um, think so, Dan. <laughs> but uh, then, uh, then they kiss. Keely goes in, is concerned, and then Jack Uno reverse. You should do it. Yes, let's go. Remote. I, I mean, comes in handy. It's a it's a very interesting bit though, right before this, because Keely basically admits that she's depressed, right? And and with a lot of people who are depressed, they can put on a really great front. Jack says, "You seem happy to me," uh, and that's kind of what leads it on. So they're having like a deep connection with each other. But I mean, this is this is crazy. If you were a person that was like, "Wow, Sam and Rebecca," that's you know, there's there's a workplace violation in there someplace uh, with the code of ethics or whatever. This is the same exact situation. Like Jack is her boss, uh, and the attraction may be there, Brandon, but you have to feel just about the same exact way as you did with Sam and Rebecca, considering you were not shipping them. Mm. Yeah, this is a lot different because Jack is a part time character. She's new. Um, I'm gonna let it fly. Wow, he's Uno reversed. His previous decision. What an unbelievable, unbelievable move. I think investor is a little looser of a relationship than like owner of a club and a player. But I could be wrong. Maybe I'm completely off the mark. I'd love to hear what other people think at uh, Pod Underdogs. Um, we got some questions here. Obviously, Gio wants to know, is Jack a rebound for Keeley or do they really have a thing for each other? Definite rebound. Opportunistic? Even, yeah. For sure. I mean, Keely's made overtones that she is by for most of this show. So this wasn't like a massive surprise or anything like that. But Dan, I think the the hurt from Roy is still the thing that is is there despite this. Sure. And I think to the, the follow up question that Ben had was just was Jack's interest in funding Keely's PR firm more than just an investment opportunity? I don't think that's the case because that as a character like Jack wasn't introduced even until this season and she had no idea who her investor was. We saw her mention that she was waiting to meet Jack. She thought Jack was a guy. So like there clearly was no connection there. Um, I I just don't that doesn't feel like that would be the natural way that the show would lead into this based on how they've handled um, a multitude of different uh, interactions uh, so far. Yeah, I mean. I would like to think that wasn't a reason why Jack invested, but never know. Well, we flashed to Nate, who has taken Anastasia to the Taste of Athens. Can we find this dude another restaurant, or, or what are we doing here, Nate? Any other restaurant will do. I mean, come on. You're in London. You are in <laughs> London. <laughs> there are many restaurants. East it's London. Great. You know, yeah. Uh, look, this is one of the more cringy, awkward dates that we've ever seen. Uh, she doesn't want to be there. She's used to luxury lifestyle, and this ain't it. It's not Nate. It's not what he does. But he tries to share why the place is so special to him, but she ends up just leaving. It's a clear nod to Zoolander, which I love to see it. <laughs> Absolutely. It just killed me. I love fantastic, that. Fantastic, fantastic so cultural reference. Oh, just destroyed me. Anastasia. It's going to be really terrible when Anastasia goes to the hospital in uh, third degree burns (laughs) after a gasoline fire. (laughs) Just wake me up. That's so good. Um, She says, can we please leave? I mean, the food is yummy, but it's just so dumpy and sad. Uh, Jade is right there as she says this. Nate says, okay, I know it might not exactly be cool, but this place is important to me. This is where my family celebrated our birthdays, anniversaries. It's where I came after I got promoted as an assistant coach at Richmond. Uh, and he says, every important event in our lives has been spent here. And to me, that's what that that's what makes this place even better than cool. Uh, he, he is definitely turning the page. Like, there's no doubt about it. And I think for him to even bring up Richmond and not where he came after he got his West Ham job is a clear indication of that. Yeah. And in Jade, little turn of character, you know, because at the beginning he walked in for party two and he goes, yeah, ma'am, how can I help you? She's like, oh no, we're, we're the cup. We're the party two. We're like, that's us. And, you know, she's just been ragging on him the whole time, playing him up. Uh, she actually feels bad for him. A rare smirk emerges. Uh, and then after Anastasia leaves, Nate invites Jade to sit down for baklava and they have a mini date and Nate looks happy. Well, it is to die for, as we all know. 
foreshadowing. I love, he, <laughs> I love that he says, for some reason, whenever I'm trying to impress someone, I end up sounding like my grand. It was, uh, it was a nice little line. It was a little smooth, smooth operation from Nate. Self-aware. So after the match, Rebecca is pacing. She's waiting for the call from Dr. Wagner, which does come in. It's clearly by reaction that she can't have children. It's hard scene to watch, but... Again, the actor Hannah Waddingham smashes the scene per use. This whole episode. I mean, but this is special stuff. I mean, the scenes in which she is like very clearly hurt are absolutely epic. And she does such a great job of like you don't even hear Dr. Wagner on on the phone. Right. Like because I, I think that was a smart call by the show because that is difficult news for people to hear. This is a very, very sensitive subject. Fertility in general is another thing that I didn't think we'd touch in this show, but they are touching it. And I think, Dan, for me, like they've handled this thing very, very well. And if you believe the psychic, if you believe that Hannah Waddingham will be or Rebecca will be a mother at some point in this show, then it leaves two avenues, either or well, three adopting, mm-hmm. adopting a child, marrying into a relationship or entering a relationship with somebody with a child. Uh, and the third is the definition of family changing um, and maybe adopting the role as like the mother of all of these individuals, of this team, of uh, of this con- community of people around her. And It'll be interesting to see Mother Hen style, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there are options here, but it's very clear that her preference um, would have been uh, would likely be one or two, and not necessarily three from a a self fulfillment. Because as much as the football has been important to her, the football is important to her because she wants to use it to beat Rupert. And this is now the personal aspiration that we have to see how she marries the balance between the two. Well, it is notable also that every turn in this episode, Keely is not there for Rebecca. After the John run-in, no answer. During the match, no answer. And after she finds out the news from Dr. Wagner, no answer. So is there going to be a fracture here? What do we think? To be continued? Maybe. Dun, dun, dun. Maybe, though. I mean... Unlucky. Yeah, it could have been unlucky, and and of course, I think they're good enough friends to make through it. But that those were three big moments. Like Rebecca's freaking out throughout this whole episode, right? And you'd want your friend to comfort you in those moments, like Beard did for Ted. So, yeah, look, there's that situation where she's at the doctor's office in emergency contact. She doesn't know, you know, she's in the office, and the same thing. It's like when she gets that news, she doesn't know who to call, especially if it's not Keely. Like her roster is not deep when it comes to mm-hmm. people close to her, especially with their mom, not even that close to their mom. Right. Exactly. Mm. All right. We're going to take our last ad break. When we're back to the main theme, Crown and Anchor Pub Trivia, and of course, winner, winner, football dinner. Thank you, sponsor. We'll be right back. All right. So the main theme, believing in signs. This week's episode was all about the signs, whether it was Rebecca seeing signs from her ill-fated meeting with Tish, Ted seeing signs that he needed to take charge again after not being himself this season, Jamie seeing the signs that the team needed more then Zava, Keely letting her hurt out. All of this was not a mistake. These characters evolved rapidly in this episode, and it sets up what could be the most critical episode in the series next week when the team go to Amsterdam for sunflowers. So there's a ton of meaning for sunflowers at Van Gogh, Kansas, and a certain date in 1991 that could change the relationship between <sighs> Ted and Rebecca. Look, I'm not I'm not spoiling anything, but uh, but there's there's a lot of there there, Dan. <laughs> there's a lot of there there. Wow, that is the analysis that people come to the underdogs <laughs> for. There's a lot of there there, folks. And hey. look, you're gonna when you get there, you're gonna see all the there that's there, and boy, you're gonna be like, damn, it, that's a lot of there there. It's right there. That's all I'm saying. Come on. Well, you know what? A good way to roll off that a little bit is actually with the crown and acre pub trivia go ahead nick twist them up spin them out what do you have tons of good stuff in this one so it's hard to just pick five but uh the first one (laughs) is one of the funnier lines that we did not mention in our in our read through what was the name of the strip club that beard admitted to dancing at in college 
did not see that coming again. Hilarious. Number two, how many days has Ted gone without getting uh, piss on his uh, on his khakis? It's a it's a record for him. Uh, calls it out very specifically. Number three, a very interesting one. How did Henry apologize to the kid he bullied? Uh, it's a it's a very nice, uh, interesting uh, definition of an apology. Uh, question number four: What song <laughs> was featured in this episode that was also featured in the Zoolander moment that we talked about from earlier with the models? And then number five: Which family member of Higgins was also a psychic? Ooh, that's some good little run here. Uh, again, at Pod Underdogs, uh, let us know what you think. How many you got right? And we'll always have one in the episode in Spotify. So if you're listening on there, uh, one built in for you. So winner, winner, football dinner. Who won the episode? I just, I appreciate it when you guys fight. But Dan, you're putting up no fight. No, because as I came into this conversation, this podcast episode, ready to battle with Nick, Good to learn that he made the right decision this week, and everybody gets to be the beneficiary of a calmer end to the episode. Hmm. It was Ted. Of course it was Ted. Of course it was really? Ted. Really? You don't give that speech and 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 not win the episode. Uh, overcame the cat's the, about to go. Overcame the panic attack? Yep. He's 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 going on a tear here, man. I I would bet very good money that he, he gets out to a nice little lead over Rebecca, Nate, Rupert, and... Uh, the now retired Zava, who is no longer in our lives, unfortunately. Great character for that brief moment that we had him. Yeah, it could be tough for him to uh, keep winning if he's not around. But if anyone could, yeah, Zava could. He's yeah, maybe. All right. Uh, well, Ted, finally on the board. Uh, we've got a five-way tie so far. Every episode has had someone different. I find that to be really interesting. Uh, a lot more to come out of this one. But look, that is it for this episode of. Los Underdogs, please connect with us at Pod Underdogs on social media. Continue the chat. And if you'd be so kind, take just some seconds and leave us a five-star rating review. Spotify, Apple Podcasts goes a long way to help other Lasso fans find us. Uh, but don't worry. We're going to be back. Watch it again. Enjoy the episode. Uh, we will be here for the sixth one in the third season. We got you. So until then, have fun and enjoy yourselves. <laughs>